Good afternoon, everyone. Really enjoy the choir, special music. Seem like they're improving all the time. I thought I heard one out of tune, and I believe it's Mr. King's little daughter. <laughs> Wasn't she sweet up there? You know, it's amazing how she was still and quiet. I know all of you are full from that delicious meal, and I don't blame you if you want to go to sleep. And I've said so many times when you speak in the afternoon when everybody's full, they tend to go to sleep. So all I ask, please don't talk in your sleep. Now, if I go to sleep up here, I'll just keep talking, so don't worry about that. And speaking of the food, I'll have to tell this on Dr. Meredith. He'll probably send me off to Siberia. That's where he threatened to do that when I told this on him. You know, he's from Missouri, the show-me state. So he was preaching at the feast there and, and uh, there in the south. And so I was the coordinator, and he got up and said, you'll have to show me these things. I'm from the show-me state. So I got up and talked about uh, this guy from Tennessee and one from Missouri. They were taking a trip across the country. They went up north, and they're going to go across the country. And so the person from Nashville, he was hungry. He said, let's pull over here and get something to eat. So we went in, and, and this clerk said, what can I do for you? He said, I need some nanners, taters, and maters. He said, I bet I can tell where you're from. I said, where? Tennessee. He said, well, how did you know that? I just knew. So on down the road, it impressed this guy from Missouri, so eventually he said, uh, stop over here. Let me try that. So they stopped, and he went in. The clerk said, what can I do for you? He said, I'd like to have some maters, taters, and maters. He said, uh, I bet I can tell where you're from. I said, where? I said, Missouri. He said, how did you know that? He said, you're in a hardware store. So he got up later and said, I was on my way to Siberia. <laughs> now, I'll have to tell this on Mr. McNair. I, I don't know if I ever, ever told that on Mrs. McNair or not, but uh, we used to babysit for the McNairs. And, of course, I'd have to spank Rod. <laughs> he was always in trouble, you know. So I would spank him, and I'd make it like it was my wife spanking him. No, we used to have a lot of fun together, and what he said about his father and mother is so true. I can vouch for that. He had a very fine dad. I was able to work with him uh, there in Atlanta. I learned a lot from him. He and I used to go hunting for deer. We'd get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. We'd go visit him, but we'd go deer hunting first. We'd take our suits and with us, so... He would put me by a tree, and he said, now, don't move. You just stay here. And all he would do is walk around and scare all the deer so I couldn't shoot one. <laughs> then he was very competitive. We'd go sometimes come in about 12 after visiting. He'd want to play ping pong. And I'd have to play ping pong with him until I'd let him win a game. And so we had a lot of fun. You know, we certainly have enjoyed the McNairs. And I know that Ms. McNair, she, all of you know that she works hard, very diligent in serving God's people here. 
And you, you have to admire that and appreciate that and uh, an outgoing concern, a good example, her and Mrs. O'Quinn, widows who married to evangelists at one time, and they set a very good example of service, and which is very appreciative. I'm sure all of us know that as well. Of course, we understand, as we've been about Pentecost, and of course, I believe I've got the Greek word all right, but I see Don over there with his pen, so if we make a mistake, he will correct it. It means count 50, you know, cost count 50, and it's 50 days from the weekly cycle during the Days of Unleavened Bread, and sometimes it's called the Feast of Weeks, and you know, the Sabbath ends a week. So if you're talking about the Feast of Weeks, you're talking about 49 days, or 40, you know, seven Sabbaths, 49 days, and of course the 50th day is Pentecost. And I think we all understand it's called the Feast of First Fruits. So in essence, this is our feast. This is our day that God has given to us as His people. Our day of salvation, see. There's not another day of salvation for us. It's the day or eternal death. And it's something serious, brethren, that we can't take God's feast for granted. And we understand the plan of God through those feast days he's given to us. So if you turn to Leviticus chapter 23, all the feast days, as we heard this morning, is listed here. And people, you know, they say, and I was brought up believing, they're old Jewish days, an old Jewish Sabbath that God did away with. See, he did away with the Sabbath. He did, he did away with the holy days and all. But to my surprise, when Mr. Armstrong started reading and explaining Leviticus 23, that my heart and mind was open then to the plan of God. And the more we observe these days, the more we understand God's plan and purpose for us. So Moses was given this by God himself. Speak to the children of Israel. Speak to the children of God. Speak to the living church of God, we can say, if we want to. The feast of the eternals. It's his feast. It's not our feast. We're here keeping his feast. His feast, see. Not our feast. So we want to understand his feast for our good. Then he talked about the holy, convoca holy convocations. And that's, uh, that's something, brethren, we all need to think about. If we have a holy convocation, if we have all day of holy time, what is more important than being here in the presence of God unless we're sick? See? Now, we can make fine excuses. You know, I can say, well, I'm tired, I'm old, I'm this and I'm that. But we had a man in Nashville, Tennessee, he was 100 years old. He died at 100 years and five months, he died. He was at every feast. He attended, he attended twice on the Sabbath. You never did hear him complain at all. He enjoyed being with God on his feast days. So I'm sure if you were to give a feast and half of them didn't show up after about an hour, they left, what would you think? Leaving my feast. See, what is more important to us than God's feast? See? 
Now, we can make all kinds of excuses, I've said, about our physical elements and all that I don't know to hear, and I've heard it over and over and over. I heard that said about Mr. Armstrong when I was in Pasadena. I heard him two years. I was from 72 to 74 when he was... When he was having the problems, he stayed there in Pasadena. And he talked about the two trees. And that's what he talked about. So they would say, oh, no, not those old two trees again. See? Man, I've heard those two trees, and I'm sick of those trees. Well, they never did understand them. See, They never did understand those trees. And when you turn off what God has for us, you never understand Understanding comes through obedience. We learn by doing. We have to do something to learn. And if we don't do it, we never learn it. If we don't do Christianity, we will never learn how to be a Christian. We have to do it. And I think you understand that. If I'm learning to drive a car, I've got to do it. As I mentioned I can read all kinds of books about driving a car. And I don't think... Anybody wanting to get in the car for me if I never driven one. See? But you see, if we don't understand Christianity, if we can't teach it, nobody will listen. So we have to experience hardship. We have to experience pain. We have to experience sacrifice before we can tell others to sacrifice. It's got to be experienced. Christ experienced pain. He experienced suffering. He experienced all of these things. So he's qualified. He qualified to be the first of the first fruits. He is the first of the first fruits. He's the first begotten of God. He was the first to be resurrected. See? Christ is the first in everything. He's the firstborn in the family of God, and the firstborn has many possibilities as we know. Privileges. Head of the family. And yet we're part of that wave sheaf. We're part of that that's been before God the Father. To be accepted by the Father. To be a part of the first fruits. And what an honor that is. See? And if we miss out on the first fruits, we've missed out. We might as well face facts. We cannot play church. We just don't go to church. There were millions who went to church today. They go to church. But for what purpose? Now I was talking to the barber that we go to, and he said, you know, I started going to the 830 church services because I like to exercise and go to the ball game at 12. See, they make it convenient for you to come to church. But for what purpose? They don't understand anything. I just got to go to church. And they... It's amazing, then, how they don't quite understand. In verse 10 of Leviticus 23, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I gave you, or give you, now that hadn't happened yet. That's when they were to cross over and inherit the promised land. Now they have been fed for 40 years the manna, so they couldn't keep the way sheep in the desert they had been fed manna. He said, now I give to you and, and reap its harvest. Then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. 
He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath. See, after the Sabbath, which would have to be the first day of the week. Because you count seven Sabbaths, it's called the Feast of the Weeks, and it's to be waved after the Sabbath, or the Pentecost would be after the 50. So that's why we're here. That's why we're observing this feast. That's why we're special to God. He chose the children of Israel on the day of Pentecost as his nation, as his firstborn. Through the firstborn, without many privileges, They would bless all nations around if they would just obey God and keep his commandments. See, if they just do that and recognize him as God, as all-powerful God, then everybody would be blessed. Then everybody would see that the firstborn has privileges. And brethren, we will be the first in God's kingdom after Christ, his resurrection, and we will be privileged Beyond our imagination. But sometimes that gets lost in our physical life, our daily life. But of all these people this morning who went to church, and that's probably a million of them, well, I'd say maybe a hundred million sometimes they estimate, they have such a wrong concept of God. They have no idea who God is. Their precept of God is taught by the fear of man. Man teaches what God is. Man teaches God is unfair. Man teaches there's no God. As we heard, man said the Bible couldn't be true because of the Son. It couldn't be. Say, man says it. So man teaches and people believe it. God can teach through His Word. Not too many people will believe it. See, that's how Satan then has deceived this world. Now, Satan is a liar, the Bible said, and a murderer, Jesus said. Now, he tells the truth about himself. But when he tells it to a human, it's a lie. Satan is the one who's trying to go to heaven. See, he's deceived man in believing that's where he's going when he dies. Satan has an immortal soul, not man. Man believes he has an immortal soul. Man is taught that if you're not good, you go to hell and you burn forever and ever. Well, Satan, the lake of fire is prepared for him and his demons, not for man, you see. He is a liar. His ministers are liars. They teach lies. People want to hear lies, you know, and they'll fight for their right to be wrong. And they'll die for their right to be wrong. So the fear of God is taught then by the precepts of preachers on television, on the Internet, what their concept, who God is, what he is. And so they have no concept at all other than their own imaginations. And yet, brethren, we sit here today understanding our purpose, our heritage, and our destiny. Think about that. Those three things we understand. Our purpose, why God called us. Our heritage. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, we shall. And not only that, our destiny is forever and eternity. We understand those three things about us. And we understand them through the holy days. That God has revealed those to us through his holy days. And the whole world is just cut off from God except us. Because we have God's spirit. 
that connects us to God. So that's why they're in ignorance of who God is. Now, we're not because we have his spirit. And as we heard this morning, he poured out on the day of Pentecost. <clears throat> that power, that understanding, that helps us to understand our purpose. Why did God call you? Do you have a reason? Can you explain in one paragraph why God chose you? Was it for your looks? Your age? Why did God select you to be a first fruit? See? You ever ask yourself the question? I've heard people say, I don't know why God called me. I can't do anything. See? I don't have any talent. I don't know why God chose me. Well, it's like a tomato saying, why did I have to ripen first? <laughs> why couldn't I remind, remain on the vine? But see, God has given us that understanding. This day pictures that we have been so carefully selected by the Father who has studied us. And it could have been from the womb. We don't know. He studied us, the foreknowledge of who we are, what we are, and where we would fit as first fruits. Then he put that truth into our minds to begin with. It's like a fish, you know. You throw it out there, you hook, an old fish gets on it, and you, and you reel it in. It's trying to get off the hook. So, brethren, it's always important <clears throat> that these days mean something to us because God is an intelligent God. He deals with us in an intelligent way. He doesn't deal with us in eggs and rabbits, dress, trees, valentine. He doesn't deal with us. That means nothing. And people say, oh, boy, I had to give up Christmas. Well, what did it teach? Except pain. When you wake up and you owe everybody. Yeah. Not only that, if they fight over, is that all you got me? You don't love me, you know? Is that all you got me? You learn nothing by keeping Christmas or Easter or Valentine's Day. Or your own birthday, what do you learn about yourself? Another year. Older. More wrinkles, you know. It does make you happy <laughs> in a way, you know. How old are you? Well, you know, I'm, yeah. don't you go tell them I've just turned 80. <laughs> so you understand those things. So God deals with us in an intelligent way. And he's given us understanding that he is an intelligent God. And he deals with us in an intelligent way. He treats us that way. In an intelligent way. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 9. And Proverbs 9. Verse 9, verse 9 of Proverbs 9, Give instructions to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. So if we are wise, brethren, and we are instructed, it makes us wiser. We become wiser, see, in the teachings of the Bible and the teachings on the holy days and the teachings on the Sabbath. Give instructions again to the wise man. He will, he will still be wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. 
So Christianity is a learning process. Just like learning on a job, you never know enough. You have to keep learning and learning and learning, see, until you master that skill. The fear of the eternal is the beginning, see, of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One or the holy days or the holy Sabbath is understanding. See, the knowledge of this, of the holy time is understanding that we understand Passover. We understand the days of leavened bread. We understand the Pentecost, but not all. We're still learning. I learn something every Pentecost, every trumpets, the day of atonement. You don't stop learning. Why? It's a spiritual day. It's a spiritual thing. And there's no end to spiritual learning. Because we're serving a God that has no end of knowledge. And we have access to His mind, His library, His mind through His Holy Spirit. If we desire it and want it, see. So that is our understanding, as uh, the Bible has shown here. And so God has given us His Spirit to give us that understanding of who He is and what His purpose is for the universe. See. As Mr. Armstrong always said, if you want to know something, you've got to go back to the beginning. See? You don't go in the middle of something or the end of something in a movie and try to guess at the beginning. If you understand the beginning, then you can understand the ending. So the beginning is important for us to understand God's purpose for mankind. So the Holy Spirit comes into us to give us that purpose to reach our goal. You know, my goal is to be in the kingdom of God, to be in the first resurrection. That is my goal. That is my hope. What gets me there is faith. Faith is carrying me to my hope, to the resurrection, to eternal life, to live forever. That's my hope. And faith is what's taking me there step by step by step by step. And through these holy days, uh, as uh, as we understand it. <clears throat> So by keeping this feast today, it teaches us, number one, that this is not the only day of salvation. And thank God for that. You know, my brothers didn't like the religion I had, but it's one thing they did like. They always wanted me to talk to them about that. That's about the second resurrection. <laughs> you know, they like that, you see. Realize they didn't have to go to the uh, hell fire during this lifetime. But think about those plans, and you get to the last day, and you see people that you love. You see people that you admire. You see people there that you're going to help be in the family of God. You see people there. See, All of the people that we've known and will know all the way back, that we will know the history, we will help. And they'll have 6,000 years of this life here versus 1,000 years of God's life in the millennium. Now, which one do you think they will choose? That's not going to be easy for them because of human nature. Vanity won't allow us to humble ourselves. It's hard to admit you're wrong. It's easy to admit somebody else is wrong. So we will have our hands full when, these, when God's holy days are completed. And we have to prepare for that. I want to see my mother, my father, 
And I'm going to tell them I was a mean, mean teenager. See? They should have whipped me more, <laughs> whatever. But it, it, it's going to be a time of rejoicing, which God's days are a time of rejoicing for, for everybody. As, <clears throat> as we understand. So only a select few has been handpicked by the Father. He knows we're, he knows everything about us right now. He has the power to see us everywhere, all of his people. He has that ability to see your heart right now from where he is. Not only here, but in Atlanta, wherever it is, Canada, Australia, he has that kind of power to see his people. He's, he's looked at all the man, all these people on earth since we've been born of a billions of people and chose us, selected us. He saw something in us that he could use, that he could use to further his plan for mankind. And to me, that is one of the greatest honors on the face of the earth to be able to be selected handpicked by the Father, given to Christ, in Christ, finally to be born into the family of God. And yet, you wonder why he didn't call others. Why he just calling just a few? No matter how hard we try to convert people, we can't. No matter how much we want to see people come into the church, we can't. God must, find, he must call, he must handpick the person. To bring that person in during this time, during this day of salvation. And usually he will choose people that can make it, that have the quality about them. And they will choose people. But brethren, some of us have been brought up to go to church. As long as I go to church. See? I was taught that most of my life, you got to go to church. Got to go to church. Got to get baptized. You got to do this. See? And that is so ingrained in one's mind as long as I go to church. See? That I'm fine. It is a learning process that we go to learn about why God selected us and understand that more and more. And it becomes more real to me almost every day why God chose me and why God chose you. See, we have to understand that, as God says. And in John chapter 6, Jesus brings this out. In John 6, verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me. See, all that he gives will come to Christ. That's what he said. And you can't help it. You might fight it a little bit, but you'll finally find it. And you'll search. And you will know where the truth is. And you will know who's preaching the truth. The ones who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Now, think about how positive that is. When God calls us, he calls us, we will go to Christ, and Christ will save us. 
Now, that's the plan. See? That is the plan of God. And he said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And what is the Father's will for Christ? See, we know his will. The Bible has shown that to us. Notice verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up the last days. Now, to me, that's pretty positive, isn't it? I don't see anything negative in that. I don't see any conditions in that. See? I don't see any conditions at all in what he said. If God has selected us and given us to Christ, like he selected Jeremiah, like he selected the Apostle Paul, he knew that the Apostle Paul would be there. He knew he would suffer. I chose him for that responsibility. Well, what did God put in the Apostle Paul that made him go through what he went through? What was it? Jeremiah, Isaiah, the apostles. He told them what was going to happen. He told them that they would be over nations. See? Did he keep his word? Now, that's when Peter denied him. He still told them that. But what did he put in the apostles that kept them going that Judas didn't have? What was it? See? Now, Christ is not going to lose anybody that the Father's given him because he's under command from the Father not to do it. If we've been truly selected and given to Christ, he's been commanded not to lose us. Now, I'm not talking about eternity. I have a will. You have a will. You have power. But my power every day is to follow God. I've, my will is to follow God, not the world. My will, I pray, to follow God. And so by giving him my will, see, then he begins to give me, show me what I need to do. And I can say it before God, even in the terrible times, I never thought about quitting. I have never thought about quitting. And I've been challenged. I've been asked, where do you stand? I said, what do you mean where I stand? I stand where I've stood at baptism. I've never changed from that stand. Well, you're fired. Well, fine, see. I couldn't change that stand if I wanted to. You say, well, you're free. I am free, but I've chosen, chosen God's way. And he's put, uh, he's put that in me to do that. And I think he's put that in you to do that. Now, are we perfect? No. Do we make mistakes? Yes, as Mr. Meredith said. Do you think that Mr. Meredith ever thought about quitting? Look what he's been through. You ever thought, well, uh, you know, and even that stroke, you think he's thinking about quitting? Well, what did God put in him? And didn't the others, they quit. Why is he so unique? Well, I believe God selected him. He had to go through trials and tests. He had to prove himself. Then God turned over what he wanted to, 
do through Mr. Meredith. And so that's what I believe, that's my personal belief, that, uh, that we've all been tested and, and tried. But if we've been given to Christ, there's complete rest, as we heard this morning, rest and power. It's a gift. It's something I didn't earn or you didn't earn. It's a gift that comes from God because he wants us, selected us, to be his son, to be the first fruits, to be the first ripen on the vine. And Christ is the caretaker of that. As long as we stay in Christ, in Christ in us, we will be in God's family. And we have peace and security. That I don't not have to worry about being lost. Do you worry about going through the tribulation? I don't believe a Philadelphian does at all. I don't think a Philadelphian goes, uh, thinks about the tribulation, period, because he knows what God has promised. And if your heart is in the work, if it's there and you have denied that name, you kept his word. He said, I will keep you. Well, I mean, what? that's security, isn't it? And he's never lied. If I were to say, I'm going to be over at your house tomorrow at 12 o'clock, and you know I'm always on time, you expect me to be there, don't you? However, if I don't show up half the time, <laughs> well, you can't trust him, you know. He, he said he's coming, but you can't trust him. So we prove, I believe, over the time that God can trust us with more responsibility, more power, because we've proven to him we can be trusted as well. And there's no limit to what God may have for you yet. See, nobody understands. I had never dreamed when I first started church I'd be right here and speaking. I hated to speak. I tried my best to get out of speaking. I hated that. I spoke one time in the spokesman club one minute. Almost left. Almost just couldn't get anything out. See? And, uh, you know, every time you just sweat and carry on, and finally you had to get some, some little help. <laughs> uh, but uh, that didn't work. But it's just something that, you know, some people just don't like to do. But I couldn't help it. Now, the other day I had to go down and make a tape sermon. And I've been running from that for five years. I just hated that. Just talking to a camera. And I felt sorry for Mr. King, you know. So, so finally, Rod just said, uh, we've got to have somebody. And so I was about the last hope. <laughs> so I went in, I started talking. And, and, you know, trying to look at that camera, you didn't hear any feedback. You just silence. Of course, I'm used to looking here and there and up there. So Dylan came in and finally said, Mr. Lee, going to have to quit doing that. you got to look at that camera. Say, look at that camera. So I thought I had about an hour and 15 minutes worth of material, and I finished that out in about 40 minutes. <laughs> I couldn't find scriptures. <laughs> I was just going every which way. And because you had no feedback, I didn't dare tell a joke because somebody would laugh. <laughs> I knew the camera wouldn't laugh. But then I had to get one on Day of Atonement. See? Then all of a sudden I felt comfortable. 
And I knew I was not going to make the same mistake twice, so I looked right in that camera all the time, looked in that camera, on that camera. And even Dylan had to say, Mr. League, that was great. And it's hard to give a Day of Atonement sermon even if, you, even if you're fasting. <laughs> so just to show you what you dread, you run from what you dread, but you never know what God might have. See, that's what I'm telling some of you people here. If you have the talent, you haven't learned everything yet. If you quit, then God can't use you anymore. You've reached your limit. See, if we quit or whatever, if we give up. And I've always thought if you follow the instructions, if you listen to the man over you, you're going to grow because he's been there. I know I was counseling somebody for baptism. I said, why is it that you tell your children, don't touch that fire or that hot iron? Don't touch it, you get burned, but they got to go over and touch it, right? Or you put a sign up that says wet paint, and guess what's going to happen? You've got to experience it. We've got to experience to see if it's real. Then we suffer. Then we say, how stupid I am. Why didn't I listen? After we make, uh, you know, certain mistakes in, in life, this one young individual that he was uh, way up there in the YOU in talent. He's excellent. I think he might have won it. But he was 18 years old, and he raped somebody, pulled a gun on somebody and raped. So they gave him 50 years in prison. And he was up in Ohio. They sent him down to Lebanon, where not too far from where I was in Cincinnati. And so I'd go visit with him. And, uh, you know, you'd almost cry. Just uh, You wonder, why in the world did you do such a stupid thing like that? Fifty years in prison. And he was just scared to death. He's afraid of these inmates. And, you know, they, and he was afraid he, he wanted to get baptized. I said, well, everybody in prison wants to get religion. It goes good on the record. See? And we talked and talked, and, and uh, so I did baptize him. I'd visit with him. Last time I, before I was transferred, I visited with him, and two men had raped him. And you could see the countenance changed in his face. And you wonder, young people, why make that mistake see, and pay that price? Once you make a mistake, you can't take it back. Once you get pregnant, out of wedlock, you can't take it back. It's a stigma from then on, no matter what society says. People may tolerate it in one way, but you make a, a serious mistake, and you can't take it back. If something comes out of your mouth you wish you never said, you can't take it back see, at all. So that's why that we must, must understand why God has called us, we cannot afford to make serious mistakes. We're going to make mistakes, but I don't think we plan mistakes at all. We don't plan. I don't get up in the morning and plan to sin. Do you? I just touch that iron sometimes. See if it's hot. <laughs> you know, it gets your fingers burned. Then you tend to, you, you tend to back away from it. In Acts chapter 2, we can see not everybody's called at this time. Now, what was it about those 3,000 people 
that were baptized on that day that the others weren't. See why? Were they carefully selected? You know, I, I don't tell them, I mean, thousands were there. And they probably heard Peter. They heard that sermon that cut them to the bone. And, uh, but what was it that they heard that no one else heard? What was it the Apostle Paul heard on the road to Damascus nobody else heard? Others thought it thundered. What did he hear? See, what was it that he was converted so quickly? He didn't have to read a bunch of books. He didn't have to read about water baptism, anything like that. He just converted. And he just said, uh, what do you want me to do, Lord? And he was blind. Three days. But he heard something that no one has heard. No one has, you may hear something no one else hears through the scriptures and all. But you wonder why. Well, maybe God is speaking directly to you through the scriptures. What you can be. We need to be all that we can be in God's church. There's no limit to what we can be. Kings and priests. And I think the greatest honor for us is going to be pillars in the, king, in the temple of God. Think about that. Three names. Pillars in the temple of God. And, and that that we can, that is offered to us, the Philadelphia heir of the church. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Then Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't you think that is the key there? Difference in being sorry for what you've done are being sorry that you sinned against God. See? It's easy to say, I wish I hadn't done it. It's easy to just change Sunday to Sabbath without ever repenting. Just change it, see, Sunday to Sabbath. I used to go on Sunday, but now I go on a Sabbath. Instead of really repenting that I went to church on Sunday, got on Satan's day, listened to Satan's ministers, obeying Satan's way instead of just changing churches. So you even find that in God's church. I don't like this group. I'll go to another group. All we do is just change names. Everybody believes the same. We just change names, see, without repenting or anything. Just change names, and that's fine. So he said, you repent, and then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And repentance comes from the heart, that you see what you are. God lets you see what you are. He'll let you see that you're a liar and a hypocrite. He'll let you see those things that you hate, and you're sorry for it. You want to bear it. You know, when I'm counseling people for baptism, they can't really see uh, you know, I always try to do good. I said, what if we were at church? Put your thoughts from the time you were born to right now, everything you've ever thought and did, what would you think? You said, well, turn that off. Turn, <laughs> Get rid of that. Edit that out. See? So we tend then to just change from one thing to the other without really repenting, see, of what we are.
It's easy to see what someone else is. So it's hard to judge self. See? The way I am. But I need to change. And the only change I can make is through the power of God's Spirit. And I need that to change. I can't change myself. I know sometimes your wife may say, I wish you'd change. And I wish I could too. See? I want to change. I would, if I could change, that'd be perfect from now on, wouldn't you? See? If I could do it, I can't do it. So he's talking about here, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins, and you shall receive the gift. See, that's a future, isn't it? Shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are far off and as many as the Lord our God will call. That a person has to be called to repentance. And Mr. Armstrong, when he finally repented, you read in his autobiography, he realized he's just a burned out hunk of junk. He's just no good. So Job... Look how long it took him to acknowledge. He didn't know what he was until God came down. And he understood who God was. Then he understood him, what Job is. And he repented, see. And it's painful, but it's peaceful. It really is. It's just not changing, you know, from a Baptist to the church of God. Or changing jobs. See? It's a repentance a change in nature, a change in thinking, that you build your character in your thought processes, learning a new way, being re-educated. All I know is the old way. That's the easiest way, the old way. But to be re-educated in God's truth and to be a first fruit, a new creation that I've never experienced before, and you haven't. A new creation, a new creature in Christ, see, where the tree of life is. So he said, as many as the Lord will call, you know, if he calls my children, fine. If he doesn't, there's nothing I can do about it. I'd like to see them go to church. I was brought up, you know, go to the Baptist church. Let's go to church. You need to go to church. You get in church, you're going to be better. Try to get them in church. You're worried about if they die, they'd go to hell. So those old thoughts sometimes just carry on. And it's hard to get rid of those thoughts and realize that Christ says, I am the way, the truth. All that the Father's given me will come to me. Now, that is a command, see, when the Father chooses. And I don't think, uh, I think, you obey that. You are here, so you had to obey that command uh, that you're finding where Christ is, the head of the church, what the church teaches. So we've been selected to become the first fruits, the first harvest in God's plan. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits. He has become, he wasn't the first fruits. He had become, see, the first fruits. He had qualified to be the first fruits. 
He had qualified to be our Savior. He had qualified now to be King of Kings. And he will be ordained as King of Kings. He'll be sent here by the Father as King of Kings. And to resurrect the first fruits. It doesn't mean the rest of them are lost. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have been fallen asleep. For since by man came death. And we had nothing to do with that. That's what Adam chose for all of us. Death. The family of death. And the only way we'll ever get out of this family is to be born into a family of life where you can't die anymore. There's no more suffering in that life or that family. It's only in this family because of Adam and Eve sinned, and we were born into it. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ, that same all shall be made alive. See? In Christ, we may die But in Christ, we will hear the voice. The dead shall hear my voice. Now, then he goes on and shows all the in the grave shall hear his voice. But he said, the dead will hear his voice. I was dead in trespassing and sin. I heard that voice. And the voice made me come alive. And I'm sure it made you come alive. You heard the voice. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And some people say, well, how do we know when we go to Peter? I said, well, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. I mean, that couldn't be any plainer if we know the voice of the Son of God. See, Now, those who are in the grave, you see, who have not been called, they don't hear what uh, that first resurrection. They don't hear that. So they will remain asleep. Until their time comes, until that holy day comes for them, be their time as well. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits after those who are Christ at his coming. Now, will we all just be resurrected once? Or will there be order? You know, like a family. Will Abraham be, say, in that order who uh, has power? How will that work, see, in order? Different degrees of glory, different degrees of responsibilities, see, and uh, the maturity that they know that we'll know without a doubt that Christ is the first fruit, without a doubt that Abraham is the father of all nations, see, without a doubt about Isaac and Jacob and Moses and them, without a doubt about the apostles and in that order, see, how, how does God, we can do anything he wants to, but we think about it from a physical point of view instead of a spiritual thing. That God is, nothing's impossible with him. Now, in the human family, you have firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn, fourthborn, see. Or you may have twins or triplets. With today's technology, you may have 18. <laughs> you, you know, but each man in his own order. Then comes, see, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy 
that will be destroyed is death. Where there be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, everything being made alive forever, see? Eternal in his, in his way, in his kingdom. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter 2. But you are, a, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Now, he, he told Israel the same thing on the day of Pentecost, see. He was telling them that they were special to him. But you see, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The praises of God. And that's what we do. We praise him. We sing praises, as you heard Mr. Powell's talking about. We sing praises to God. We honor him. We get excited about him and his truth. See, he's called us for that purpose, to let people know there is a God in heaven. He is our God, and we are special to Him, and He must be special to us, see, as we've been called to be priest, priests in His family. <clears throat> now notice First Peter chapter 1, verse 2, elect are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. Okay, the foreknowledge of God, which he had to study people. See, that God chose Jacob in the womb. He chose him over Isaac. I mean, over Esau in the womb. He studied him. He knew him, see, from the womb. And yet he went on his way, you know, went on his way. He made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes, until God started working with him, until it was that time. Then he had the 12 tribes, carrying on what he promised Abraham. Did he study, did he study you and me? At what point did God start studying us? For what point does he study us? Is it the first time you watch the telecast and all of a sudden something clicks? Or has he been studying you to bring you to that time, that precise moment? You pick up a plain truth or tomorrow's world, maybe in a barber shop. And I think I talked about this man in Chicago was telling me how that he was called. He saw this magazine. You know, it's a windy city. He's walking down the street, and here's a magazine just over and over and over. And he tried to get out of the way. And he moved over, so the magazine moved over, and, and by his leg, he, he tried to shake it off, and he couldn't. He reached down as a plain truth. <laughs> Another one's telling me that he was he got drunk, <laughs> and he couldn't get home, so he went up in this barn, barn loft, to uh, you know, he went up there to try to sleep it off. In the morning, he said he woke up and he said, looked around, all these stacks of plain truths. He started reading the plain truths. He said it changed his life. Well, what point then did God studied him? You, he's drunk. 
<laughs> you know, he said, that's the best way to get him in that barn. <laughs> you think about the unique calling, how God has called certain people. You've heard all kinds of experiences. One guy was telling me the other day, he said, you know, I was just in this barbershop and I picked up this magazine, it's Tomorrow's World. And he started reading that. And he started pursuing, see. When did, did someone, did God have someone to place that tomorrow's world in there and have that man to go in at the right time to get a haircut? And he probably had two heads ahead of him, picked up that magazine. You know how you, you pick up something, try to kill time. It's tomorrow's world. Well, how do you, I've never heard a Baptist explain anything like that, have you? <laughs> or a Catholic? So that, that unique calling proves that God has called us. Now, I can tell you by mine, I've told it many times. See how I was called. That I was trying to listen to the St. Louis Cardinal basketball, uh, baseball team back in 1960. It just started. It was in April. And I couldn't get it for static. But I heard Mr. Armstrong. I didn't know who he was. But I've never heard a voice like that. I mean, I've just glued to that. See, just glued to that. It was only about two minutes. So the next night I started listening, trying to find him. And I couldn't do it. So the next night I got him. Then finally, when he'd get into prophecy, that's what he used to preach about, my radio would go off, and I threw that thing across the room and made me some mad. And I had to go get a new radio. So finally I had to get in a car and my wife thought I'd gone completely crazy. I'd get in a car and drive up to the mountain so I could get the signal. See? Now, who would do that? <laughs> See, people would think you're absolutely crazy by doing something like that. So uh, you have sometimes, you, you've been, you begin to think about your calling. You want to make it sure, see, how God called you. And for what purpose, your heritage, your destiny. So you never forget that as this day pictures, you know, to us. So he said, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So he's showing here that through this foreknowledge, he called us. Ephesians chapter 1 speaks of the same thing about first fruits. Ephesians 1. Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. See, it's all spiritual, brethren, you see. Everything you know is spiritual if you have God's Spirit. It has to come to, to you through His Spirit, the Spirit of knowledge, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of discernment. You're in a different dimension. I know Mr. Meredith brought up this the other day, where he put that, that we have to a different level to love God. We have to come up to a different level, see, to love Him. For his love. In a different level to even love more. See? You just keep elevating. 
until he elevates us above society to love him, to love our neighbors, that we're there loving, that we can always love down here, you see. And so he's, he's showing here that, uh, that it is a spirit that God gives the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. I didn't know I had eyes of understanding. Did you know you have eyes of understanding? Didn't he say, blessed are your eyes for they see and blessed are your ears for they hear? And when you receive God's spirit, you begin to see things in the Bible. You try to show it to somebody else. It doesn't make sense. But you see it just plain as day. You say, well, any fool can see this. See, But it is eyes as God is open to your understanding. And that's through his spirit connected with the spirit in man. See, that he can teach us. You take a true minister of God can just read the verse and you'll understand it. Oh, I see it, yeah. Just immediately. The understanding. Then he says, The eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in, in the saints. And God has true riches, riches in faith, riches in love, the true riches here, spiritual riches. And so... Our inheritance, Satan has blinded people, brethren, to the purpose, their inheritance, and their destiny. Do you understand your inheritance? What you're an heir to? If you're an heir to something, you'll always be an heir. What are your heir to? Join heirs. Whatever God promised, whatever he promised Jesus and Abraham, we're heirs to that. But we haven't died yet to receive it. So when the first fruits, when we're resurrected, that we will teach others, and then eventually, you know, we'll be given a whole universe to put life on that universe. Now, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Verse 23, And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered and said, I've told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. See? No one else. They know the shepherd's voice. They hear it. I've talked to people who've come out of different groups. They come in and say, I just feel home here. There's something different here. Well, what is it? If there's something, what is it? Except God's Holy Spirit. That we are a spirit-filled church, a commandment-keeping church. See? We know our destiny. We know our purpose. We're confident in what we're doing. We know it. 
And we are confident that God will supply the income of whatever is needed to finish the work he's given us to do. Now, we may not finish at all, but our part. And if we would just take at heart what we heard this morning about God's power, that Mr. Meredith has asked us, brethren, over and over to pray that God would give us his spirit, a power of healing. Now, look what we could do with that. Okay, if we'd have had that gift of healing, she wouldn't have to go to the hospital. Think about what could be done if we didn't glorify self, but glorified God through us. And that's what we need. And Mr. Meredith has asked, I've heard 25 years, you know, pray for the gifts of God's healings. It's a gift. So my sheep hear my voice and they follow them. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. See? Well, I don't want to leave that hand to you. I don't plan leaving that hand. Well, who's going to snatch me out of it? Satan can't. Not only that, but we're in the Father's hand, in Christ's hands, in the Father's hand. If we could just capture the day, the power that's in the day, the first fruits of the day, our day of salvation, our confidence in what God calls us and tells us what we are, that we don't have to worry and wonder if I'm going to make it or not. Christ in you will make it. He's in you will make it for you. And that's what we, brethren, as time goes on, as we really face these difficulties, and I mean it's going to be tough out there for all of us. And you're talking about predicting race wars and all of these things, that all of us are one in Christ. We can never take sides. We're all brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We're not male or female or Jew or Gentile. We're one. With the same head, with the same power, with the same scriptures in Christ. So we're unfinished products. We know that. We're the clay. Christ is uh, he's the potter. Judgment is on us now. And we always must remember who we are. That I am Chosen, a son of God, handpicked by the Father to be his son, to be born in his family. Chosen for that. And I hope I never, I don't think I'll ever forget that. I remind in prayer every day why I've been chosen. And, and his will be done in these situations. Now finally we'll turn to Philippians chapter 3. And speaking of the Apostle Paul, in verse 10, Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, 
if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained, verse 12, or am already perfect, but I press on. I may lay hold on that, uh, that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the mark of the high calling, or the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many are mature, have this mind. If anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, verse 16, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind that we never want to go back what we've reached. That'd be like almost in this race. I'm almost to the finish line, but I think I'll go back and start over. It's this never look back. Never look back. You look forward. I think I mentioned that about that uh, teacher asking the students about Lot and his wife. And he talked about Lot where God told him to leave and don't look back. See. And Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillow of salt. So she asked the students, what do you learn from this? The little boy said, I understand exactly what you're talking about, teacher. My mother was driving out of the driveway. She looked back and waved at me. She turned into a telephone pole. So you see, you go forward. You don't look back in any, anything. You don't look back to the past because it's the past. You can't live yesterday. You can't live tomorrow. You live today. Today, if you hear my voice, harden not your hearts. It's the day that we press toward. So let's keep that in mind. Make a strong commitment. Strong commitment, brethren. Our next hold today will be trumpets, and we've got some problems between now and trumpets. We know that. But if we make that commitment, then we make the commitment of the Feast of Tabernacles. And every time it looks like these hurricanes is coming, where we're going to meet. Always something, you see. But it never stops us. Nobody can stop us as long as we're marching forward toward the kingdom of God.